Morning, everyone. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty funny, isn't it? Uh, but I, but I have to go back to my son's comment earlier, and you know that was my son Wilson up here making the jokes about the Steelers. You all know that. Okay, that's the last time Will will ever touch a microphone around here. Um. Hey, I know uh, we're into December. Christmas is just around the corner. And uh, I I know this wasn't actually a Christmas video, like from a Christmas show or anything like that. But it it does really illustrate the kind of like the main point or or part of the the point that we want to make today in the message. And and this message is uh, intended really to help us prepare for baptism and communion later as well. But uh, as, as well, it's just some basic truth that we really need to grasp. We really need to understand in order to live the way that uh, God wants us to. Now, Andy has the idea that the best way to have a relationship with a girl is to point out her flaws or to make her think there's something about her you don't like so that she will feel less confident, feel inadequate, maybe feel a little bit of shame, and then that somehow gives Andy the upper hand. Um, how many of us know that's stupid? Okay, I, I need to hear a hearty amen from all the guys right now. All right, guys, yeah, yeah, you know that's stupid. You know, it, um, it, it really does apply not just to relationships with other people, but it applies very solidly to our relationship with God as well, that the way we view ourselves impacts the way we relate to God. I mean, the way I view myself impacts the way I relate to my wife, re- impacts the way I relate to you. And, and the way we view God's work in our lives impacts our relationship with him and how we walk with him and how we, how, how we experience him and how we experience his power and, and presence in our lives. And so today what I want to talk about is something actually, I'm going to pull a a verse out of the Christmas story. And uh, we're going to to talk about what it means to say that Jesus came to save us from our sins. So in the Christmas story in Matthew 1, verses 20 to 23, I think this is the same passage Dave used last week, our executive pastor. And Dave focused on a little different phrase in in these verses. But uh, we're going to read this right now. And um, so pray with me first, though. Lord, uh, we open our hearts to you. We would just welcome your presence here today. Welcome you. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. Teach us. Open the eyes of our heart, our understanding, so that we can see, not not just acknowledge and put facts together, but so we can really see the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's how the passage goes. This is the announcement of the birth of Christ to Joseph, um, who's engaged to Mary. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, uh, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Uh, the ver- the, the, this is the, what the prophet said. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Dave last week focused on this idea of God with us. Today what I want to look at is this, this uh, phrase, Jesus, which means Savior, because he will save his people from their sins. When this uh, was given, it was being spoken to the nation of Israel. But God's intent was to bless Israel so he could bless the whole world. And so the blessings to Israel, they were blessed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so this idea of saving his people broadens out to saving people all around the world. Saving all the people of the world. That's Jesus' intent. That's why he came. And when we think of this, uh, it's such a powerful statement. Jesus came to save us from our sins. I mean, people down through the centuries have gained assurance of future life through this. That as they faced the end of life, they gained assurance of heaven because Jesus died to take our sins away. And others uh, went, went away from home, left home. Hundreds of thousands have left home and family and friends to go around the world just to share this message with other people around the world. And, and hundreds of thousands have been have given their lives for the sake of this simple message. It's a powerful message. And the idea that we can be forgiven is one of the most powerful things we can experience in life. And, uh, and, and, and this whole concept of forgiveness itself is something that is uh, just, just absolutely amazing. Uh, today we're going to have communion and baptism uh, both in the same service. And both of these are like outward expressions of that find their root in this statement, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Uh, the communion expression is that of a, a focus on Christ's actual sacrifice for us on the cross, that he died for our sins. When we pick up that little, little cracker, uh, Jesus passed out flat, little flat bread, pieces of bread like this to his disciples and said, eat this. This is my body, which is given for you. So we pick that up. I pick it up and I always say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. And then we dip it in the juice, which represents Jesus's blood. And, and, and I always say, thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood for me. And then we actually eat it. We actually take it and consume it. And that focuses on the sacrifice of Christ. It looks back to his sacrifice. And the Bible tells us it also looks ahead to the day that he's going to return to this earth. And so that's communion. Baptism focuses, finds its roots in the same statement that Jesus came to save us from our sins. But it has a different emphasis. The emphasis of baptism is in the change that takes place in us. Not, 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 not as much the forgiveness, but the actual change, that we are changed. Communion focuses on Christ's sacrifice. Baptism focuses on us being changed. So that when we baptize and a person goes under the water, that is a declaration, a statement that Jesus died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, I died on the cross with him. My old self died and when we come out of the water, that's a declaration of the resurrection of Christ and the new life that we receive through Jesus Christ. And so both of these are, are powerful declarations of truth 
And, um, and uh, it's just going to be a great service today. But what I want to focus on today more than, uh, than anything else is this idea that we are changed. That you and I are changed. And the Bible talks clearly about us being forgiven. That's the first piece. That's the first part that uh, we need to understand about this. Second uh, Corinthians 5.19 says this. It says, In Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now look at that. Bible says that God, in his son Jesus, when Jesus hung on the cross, what God was doing by that was breaking the power of sin so that we could be forgiven, so that he would not count sin against us. And what this means is that God, from his end, he's saying, okay, I've already forgiven you. I've taken care of it. I'm standing here with open arms. I am reconciled to you. Now all you have to do, and the only thing that awaits you actually experiencing this reconciliation is for you to be reconciled to God. That means, go. I'm going the other direction from God. I need to turn around and I need to say, Lord, I, you died for me, Jesus. I want to come to know you. And we are reconciled with God through that. Complete, total forgiveness for our sins. But today, as I said, I really want to focus on um, a different element of this. And that is the, the element of actual change that happens inside of us when we come to know Jesus. Um, I, I first heard this message myself, that Jesus died for our sins, that we be, could become new. I first heard this in 1967. I know for some of you that doesn't seem like that long ago. How many of you that doesn't seem long ago to? Okay, a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, James, thank you. <laughs> How many does that seem like, like the Civil War era? Yeah, yeah, I get that too. You know, I heard the message and I, and I really understood it in more than just like a Sunday school way of seeing Jesus. I understood that it was for me, but I didn't actually appropriate that. I didn't actually turn to Jesus until 1971. And at that point, uh, you know, my life changed. There were some things that changed dramatically overnight, and there were other things that changed gradually, and there are things that are still changing today. So that coming to know Jesus changes us. And then there's a lifetime of learning how we live out that change. And a huge part of learning how we live out that change is really understanding what the change is. That there's something concrete that happened inside of us. Real, a real change. One, one way to look at this and the way that we tend to focus on the work of Christ is through um, uh, just the idea that forgiveness is like a legal issue. It's like I've been pardoned by a judge. Everyone knows I was guilty, but for some reason this judge pardoned me. Now, that's called the forensic approach, and that's where we in Western, uh, in Western Christianity, particularly in American evangelicalism, we have focused almost entirely on... If you accept Jesus, you'll be forgiven. God will erase all your sins from the book. He still knows you did them. And you're still a sinner. But he'll erase all your sins from the book. And you get to go to heaven when you die. But 
the truth is there's something far more profound that happens even than forgiveness. And that is that we are actually changed and made into new people. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17 makes this really clear. It's not just forgiveness, but it's a concrete, real change in us. It says this, So whoever is in Christ, that means I have turned to Jesus, I've received Jesus as my Savior. Whoever is in Christ is a what? New creation. A new creation as opposed to an old creation. A new creation. The old things have what? They're passed away. Behold, what's come? New things have come. And another translation uh, says all things are new. And I like that. Everything's new. The old's gone. The new has come. That's what I want to focus on today and, and try to understand better. Um, this last summer, I went back to my high school, um, uh, my hometown for my high school reunion. It was our, actually our 45th high school reunion. Now, how many can believe that, that I've, I've graduated 45 years ago? I mean, should really be like 20, right? Yeah, yeah. A few of you do. Uh, it was incredible. I saw people I haven't seen for 40 years, some for 45, you know, since, since the day we graduated. I haven't seen them. And to, to renew some relationships and reconnect with people was really awesome. While I was there, I saw one friend that uh, seeing him reminded me of something that had happened uh, a little over 40 years ago. And it was shortly after I had become a believer, shortly after I had accepted Christ. And I was uh, in a room with, a, well, it was a place with a couple of guys. And one of the guys I hadn't seen since I had accepted Jesus. And he was getting on my case and he was saying, yeah, I hear you became a Jesus freak and you're a Jesus freak now. What's, what's up with that? Why, you know, why would you do that? And what's wrong with you? And, and he was really laughing and, and, and mocking me. And this other guy who was walking, walking up to us at that moment and overheard this, uh, he said, he broke in and he said, Hey, get off Van's case. He said, he said, get off his case. Van is a new man. He said, he's a new man. Now, I'm not sure he understood what, what he meant. I'm not sure even, even today he does. I mean, I saw him at this reunion, and that's what brought this all back to my mind. But I was new. I was changed. Something was different. It wasn't just that I had come to believe something different. It was something different inside that had changed. And you, if you know me, or if you know my story, let's put it that way. I don't think there's anybody here that would have known me uh, before I knew Jesus. But how many of you know my story? Okay, so you know drugs and drinking and, and all sorts of stuff like that fit into it. And so you might look at me and say, well, yeah, man, you needed to change. <laughs> you really needed to change. But I never did anything bad like that. You know, I was always a pretty good person. And so I'm not so sure I need to change. I'll just take the forgiveness thing. You know, uh, if I get forgiven for my sins and I get to go to heaven when I die, that sounds pretty good. But the whole change aspect, I'm not so sure I really need that. <clears throat> Simple truth is we all need to be changed. And do you know why? Because the old creation, when this says a new creation 
it's, it's, it's taking our minds back to an old creation. And the old creation refers to Adam and Eve. They were the first creation. They were God's first people. And Adam and Eve were created the way God wanted humans to be. They were created the right way. We could say today we would use the word righteous. They were righteous because they lined, They were what God wanted them to be. But Adam and Eve sinned. They stepped outside the realm of what God wanted them to be, and it impacted who they actually were. You see, when Eve reached up onto that tree and picked the fruit off the tree, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God didn't say to her, don't pick the fruit, or to Adam. He didn't say, don't touch it. He didn't say, don't look at it. He didn't say, don't pick it. What did he say? Don't eat it. You see, there was something in the fruit of that tree that was going to do something inside of them related to sin and evil that they were not intended to experience. They already knew good because they knew God. And they were good. They were righteous. They were lined up according to the you know, way God wanted them to be, to be. But when she plucked that fruit off the tree, it wasn't just an outward action. It wasn't like, uh, you know, like she did something bad. And God said, oh, you did this bad thing. Now I'm mad at you. And from now on, it's going to be this way. It's not like she picked the apple off, or not an apple, but the fruit off the tree. I mean, it's not necessarily an apple, okay? But it's not like she picked that fruit off the tree, and then she got mad at Adam. He said, what are you doing? And she got mad at him and threw the the fruit at him and hit him in the head or anything like that. And God said, oh, this was wrong. You shouldn't have done this. That was sin. No, here's what happened. The tree itself had sin in it. It was the knowledge of good and evil. They pl- she plucked it off the tree and she ate it so that it became part of her. It, it, it went inside her. And at that moment, sin and evil permeated her being. She hands it to Adam and Adam's standing there like a dummy watching the whole thing. She says, here, have a bite of this. And he just says, okay, takes it and bites into it without any thought. And Sin, then evil, then infested them. Every part of them, every facet of their being, because it came inside them. It changed their identity. It changed who they were. It took them from being right, the way God created them to be, and it made them wrong. It, it, it changed them so that now they, their internal identity their nature was now that of sin. You get that? It wasn't just an outward action. It was something they took into themselves and it impacted their very identity and nature. And when they had children, they passed that on. They reproduced other human beings with a sin nature. And that happened over and over again, right down to your birth and my birth. We were born as individuals with sinful natures. That's, that's the, the result of what Adam and Eve did. And so what does that mean? That means we all need to change. It means every one of us need to become new creations. We need to be set free 
from the impact of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. We need to be set free from the sin nature. And that's the concrete thing. That's the thing that we need to understand about what it means when it says Jesus came to save his people from their sins. I mean, to save means to deliver, means to rescue. That's more than just forgiveness. And believe me, forgiveness is the most wonderful thing we discover. When I, when I first accepted Christ, it was like the burden of guilt just lifted off me and I felt free. And I didn't really understand at that time the change that took place. I just knew things were different. But all of us need to have that change. We've got to experience this change of heart and become new creations. And so the new creation, he says that um, when, when, well, let me back up a step, okay? Two things. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit, it came into them. They changed. They experienced not only guilt, but shame. And do you know the difference between guilt and shame? There's a difference. Guilt is a real thing. Guilt is you did something wrong and you're accountable for it. So guilt is on the basis of what, you know, what we have done. They did something wrong. They took it into themselves. They were held accountable according to God's word. And the day you eat of this, you'll die. But shame is the result of looking at myself and not thinking I've done something wrong, but thinking there's something wrong with me. Does that make sense? Shame is the result of of thinking, I am defective. I am inadequate. I'm not what I should be. That's what shame is. And with shame, what happens is we hide. We want to hide. We want to cover. We want to run away because shame leaves us in any relationship feeling like we could never measure up to what this other person needs. They'll never really be happy with us. If they really knew, if they really knew me, then they would not really be happy with me. And so Adam and Eve have this shame and this guilt that they've passed on down through, down through all the generations to you and to me. And we need to have that dealt with. That has to be dealt with. If we're ever going to live in an effective way with other people or with God, we have to understand how it's been dealt with. And so whoever's in Christ is a what? A new creation. That means we're recreated. That means we are changed. And that means that the old is gone. And so what I was born with, what I got from Adam and Eve down through all the generations is gone. That's the old creation. That's my sin nature. That's gone. Something new has come. Something new has been placed in me. Second Corinthians 5.21 uh, takes this a step further says this, God made him who had never known sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Now, look at that. Think about this for a moment. And a lot of what I'm, what I'm sharing with you right now, uh, it really lines up with what we've been learning in School of Kingdom Ministry. And, and I suspect that next week, Putty will, some, some of these things will come up more clearly when Putty shares with us next week even, I hope. But Adam and Eve took sin off the tree, ate it, took it into themselves. 
They became fallen. They had a, from that moment on, their nature changed and they, they had a sin nature. Jesus came into the world by virgin birth and by virgin birth for two reasons. One, he preexisted. He lived in heaven before he came to earth. And so if you're going to get a person from heaven into humanity to become a real human being, you have to go about it a different way because when two human beings procreate, they create another human being in the line of Adam. And so because Jesus preexisted, he, he had to be born a different way. But the second thing is this, when two human beings procreate, they, they produce another sinful human being, another person with a sin nature. And Jesus was born without a sin nature. He was born like Adam and Eve, right? He was right. He was righteous. He was the way he was supposed to be. And then he lived his entire life the way he was, the way he was intended to, the way God intended him to. We call that righteousness. And then at the end of his life, he went to the cross. And just like Adam and Eve took sin off the tree and took it into themselves and passed it on to all of us, what Jesus did, he became sin for us. That means he took our sin and he took it into himself. It's just that he took my sin nature and he took it into himself. And he put it back up on the tree when he hung on the cross, which is where it should have stayed in the first place. And so Jesus died to kill that old man, to take that old creation and and to destroy it so that we could experience his righteousness. And so it's that old sin nature of mine, when Jesus hung on the cross, it was killed right there. When Jesus died on the cross, my old person, my sin nature died with him. And at the same time, as he rose from the dead, his righteous life was infused into me. So that now my nature has changed. If you know Jesus, then your nature has changed. And you are put back into right order, the way God created us to be. So that we could be part of his righteousness. Now the word right, and I, got, I, I saw this in some of my studies this week, but Putty brought this out last week in his message. The word righteous is a word that we attach so much religious meaning to. We attach so much, so much, so many religious concepts to it that kind of put it out there in some mystical realm. But to be righteous simply means to be right, as I've already said. It means to be what you were created to be. So let's say at the um, Sony factory, they're producing television parts, and they have someone there looking at those parts as they come off the line saying, is this part what it was supposed to be. Is it calibrated right? Or is it the right size? Is, it, is everything right about it? In other words, is it a righteous part? If it's righteous, it passes through. If it's defective, it doesn't. Well, we were defective, and now through Christ, we've been made right. We've been made righteous. And we have the righteousness of Christ living in us. Now, this is really, really important to recognize that Jesus fixed our hearts. Not just a little bit, not just partly, not just 50%. I mean, there's one, one view of theology would be that 
Jesus came and died on the cross so that I could be forgiven for my sins. And then he puts something inside of me that kind of crowds in with my oldness, the old me. And that, that maybe he changes me halfway. Think of it that way. This is a view of theology that he changes me halfway. So that I'm 50% good, 50% righteous, and 50% still sinful, sin nature. Now, let's say, let's say it's more than 50-50. Let's say God made it 80-20 just to give us an advantage, okay? But it, whatever it is, if there's part of that sin nature that, is, that I view as being left in me, then that means that there is an actual part of me, a part of who I am, that is not acceptable to God. That means there's a part of me that God must reject. And if I view myself that way, then I'm like the girl in Andy's dreams of the perfect girl. You know, I'm the one that thinks, well, my hair's not good enough. You know, there's something wrong with me, something defective about who I am. So think about this, okay? I really want you to just to take this in, go away, think about this. We're going to talk more about this in upcoming weeks. But we've been completely remade, totally new. We are righteous. Our identity is righteous. Now, you might say, well, then why do we sin? We're going to talk. That's some of one of the things we'll talk about is we sin because we don't understand this. We sin because we don't understand who God is. We don't understand who we are. The more we grapple with this, the more we understand it, the more the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, then the more settled we come in our relationship with him and the more yielded we become to him and the more yielded we are to his spirit and in our walk with him. Okay, just a couple of things to, to draw this to conclusion. Um, it, it relates to baptism because Romans 6, 4 says this. He says, Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism represents this interchange. That's what it's saying. That baptism, and, and so as we baptize people today, what they're, what they're making the declaration of is that they have been changed through Jesus. And that they are now, that the old is gone and the new is here. Now, to this idea that the sin in us is gone, it's burned away, the sin nature, Romans 6 says this. He goes on, he says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin, by that he means our sin nature, our body of sin might be done away with. That means nullified. The word actually means supplanted. One thing comes in and pushes the other out. Just like light destroys darkness. The new creation comes in and pushes the old creation out. It's done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. And then finally, this verse. In Romans 6.11, Paul says this. Prior to this, he is talking about Jesus dying, and because Jesus died, death has no grip on him any longer. And sin has no grip on him any longer. And then he says this, in the same way, count yourselves dead 
to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And the word count here doesn't mean, think of it this way. It's not like a hypothetical. It's, a, it's an accounting term. And so if you ask an accountant, what's the bottom line? He would use this word and say the count is X. And it's a reality. So he's saying, reckon this. He's saying, recognize this. You can count on it. That you have been set free. That you've been changed. That the cross totally killed my sin nature. That now I do have this righteous nature before God, which means that he's totally pleased with every part of me. And I don't have to come to him fearing that there's some part of me that he's unhappy with. And that gives us freedom. So we're going to move on with our service right now. A couple of things. We're going to have communion. That's going to happen during the first song that uh, that that we do in worship. And... Um, those that are going to be baptized, I'm going, to, I'm going to say you guys can go right now, okay? You'll have communion out in the hallway. They'll serve you out there. So if you're going to, bap- if you're going to be baptized or if you're going to baptize someone, uh, this is the time for you to go get ready. And I'm going to tell you this right now. The baptism is going to occur during the fourth song in the worship set. So it's not going to happen right at the beginning. The kids from Kids Jam will be coming out. So after communion, you're welcome to come up front to worship. But realize there'll be a bunch of little kids that will be coming out and gathering here. So kind of like leave some room for them. And uh, we're uh, Mike and Julie Shelton are going to be baptized today. So that's awesome. We're excited for them. Marley Stephan, uh, uh, Marley's mom and dad are going to baptize her. And uh, excited for, for Marley and the Stephans. Uh, Kara Hulling is going to be baptized. Laura Doyle is going to be baptized. Claire Wolford is going to be baptized. And Mark Pack is going to be baptized. And so watch this. Open your hearts up to what God uh, has for us. And it's going to be an awesome time. Communion is going to come first in the first song. And then uh, after communion is done, if you want to come up to the front to worship, you can feel free to do that. Uh, realizing we're going to have some kids up here for the actual baptism. And the baptism will happen about halfway through the worship set, okay? Let's all stand. You you guys that are going to serve can make your way to your positions right now, okay? Communion. So, Father, uh, we're thankful that uh, through Jesus we have new life. We're forgiven. But we're thankful also that we have new hearts. You've made us new. We are new creations. Help us to understand this more, Holy Spirit. And we just want to worship you now, Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence to come. We just welcome your presence to come here right now as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.